Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is Corey Monocle Wearing Knockreiner. Great. On today's episode, we'll be covering. Hey, I can bring him back, right? Sure. Glasses are boring. I need something cooler and, and modern. I guess it'll be modern after I reintroduce it. Whatever you say, Mr. Peanut. On today's episode, <laughs> we'll be chatting about the latest news from our favorite ransomware gang, Our Evil. Uh, some updates from the U.S. Commerce Department on export rules around cybersecurity tools and an analysis of cookie theft malware courtesy of Google's threat and analysis group. Uh, with that, let's go ahead on what do classy people do? They don't shimmy. We saunter on saunter in with on. our walking cane. That sounds great. Let's By the that. way, is the news our evil is rebranding to our, our really nice fluffy bunny? No. I guess not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but maybe someone shot that fluffy bunny. That would be a happy news. That'd be great. So let's start this week with, man, the story that keeps on giving, uh, where just this last week, Reuters reported that a multi-country operation finally took down our evil with a offensive cyber operation. So our evil is the most recently responsible for the, the Kaseya ransomware attack from back in July that we talked about. I feel like every other week on this podcast for the last few months. Uh, but that same report actually linked them to the same dark side ransomware that took down the capital, uh, the colonial pipeline back in May too. That was actually, so I, maybe I'm not following the news enough. I did not know that our evil had links to dark side in this case. It sounded like it was kind of a splinter group inside them that were responsible for that variant. So that was interesting scene. For sure. Um, our evil. So as a part of the article, um, from Reuters, they were able to communicate, or I guess they saw a post from one of our evils leaders known as zero Nade. Uh, who appeared to confirm... It's weird. Is he trying to do elite speak for one day, or is it some weird combination of zero day one day, or is it just random? I don't know. I, I don't know. If it's not obvious, then I don't care. Um, <laughs> so he confirmed the operation basically saying that their servers had been hacked by an unnamed party. Now... Good. Yeah. If you remember... Sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm not into hacking unless it's uh, ransomware gang's servers, then... Yeah. Then it's I, I'm sorry, I have, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so they did actually originally go down in late July after the Gaseya attack. They basically said they were getting too much heat and went offline. And like, I figured in reality, it was the FBI took them down at that point in time. But it's looking like somewhere around that time frame, the FBI or not necessarily the FBI, one of these uh, potentially foreign countries, intelligence services or law enforcement services successfully compromised their infrastructure. Uh, before they went offline and then they restored from backups late last month and that brought back one of the implants that this uh, law enforcement agency had placed and they were able to then use that again to take them back down yeah yay indeed now in reality like all they did was take down their infrastructure like that's not exactly a throw them in prison never seen them again kind of action no. so it's, I feel but like depending on how disruption. where their infrastructure is, I don't know if it's just their blog, but we always wonder how you get private keys, you know, depending on how they got access. They may have access to other evidence, even though these people are still out there is what you're saying. Yeah, but I but mean, it's still good. Yeah, it's, it's good to know the authorities are 
are learning stuff yep. or technically hacking back, whether you, you think that's good or not. Uh, so hopefully they've gathered other evidence besides just disrupting. Yeah, because I mean, it, at this moment, it feels like just a disruption campaign, which is good. Like you knock them offline for like a month and a half. That's a month and a half without a major ransomware player out there wrecking havoc. But I, is until they are actually like held accountable, nothing's going to stop them from just popping back up under a different name sure. somewhere else. Uh, but this offensive operation was enabled by a determination from the U.S. Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, uh, where basically she came to the conclusion that ransomware attacks on critical infrastructure should be treated as a national security issue akin to terrorism. And this basically gave the Justice Department and other agencies legal basis to go get help from the NSA, the CIA, and the Department of Defense for these offensive hacking capabilities. So you're right, it's good seeing hacking back in this case, I feel like I'm 100% on board with our government organizations going and taking down ransomware criminals. Yeah, that I, I, I may not think private companies should do it, but uh, when governments have the proper legal authority from, I, I think it might be worth it. By the way, I'm not sure if it's related, but and I, I can't remember if we mentioned it last week, but I think it was sometime last week that, that Biden had 30 different countries come together to talk about ransomware minus Russia. <laughs> but it's just interesting to see these type of cooperative cross borders things happening, especially after a meeting like that. I wonder if this was a topic of discussion in that that internal government meeting. I feel like we mentioned this before, but it really feels like the gloves are finally starting to come off with at least US law enforcement and intelligence agencies with going after these criminals. We, we said it with the Colonial Pie. I mean, there's been some breaches lately, the GBS meet the Colonial Pipeline, things that affect, you know, big economic livelihood and critical infrastructure, including food supply chain, I think has gotten people's attention. So you done messed up ransomware folks saying sorry for attacking a pipeline. Not is not good enough. <laughs> I mean, Yes, they done messed up, but also just looking at it in perspective, they've made millions of dollars and now they can just go retire in some Eastern European country. I mean, they're never allowed to leave that country because I'm sure that law enforcement agencies probably know who some of these folks are. And as soon as they step foot in a place with a extradition treaty, they're done. But they, they it's not exactly like they're going to we'll be see. living in squalor at this point. <laughs> It could be eventually, now that uh, 30 governments are starting to poke back, that Russia might change some of its safe harbor things and, and uh, make a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, make an example out of internal folks just to kind of get us off their back. I mean, so I, I, I wouldn't feel safe if I were them. <laughs> some of these guys are pretty overt over in Russia and Ukraine, too. Like, if you oh, remember that John Oliver right? episode, like the, yeah, the yeah. Lamborghini with the uh, <laughs> look, what did it was donuts. thief or something is his license plate. Exactly. Throwing money around, doing donuts right in the street. Yeah. But but karma, karma tends to come back. <laughs> I, I hope so in this situation, for sure. Because, I mean, some of these ransomware attacks have been pretty dang damaging. And yes, like you said, now that they're going after critical infrastructure, and honestly, it should have started when they started going after hospitals. Like, hospitals. Yeah, for sure. It, it feels like we need to do whatever we can to at least disrupt them, even if we can't necessarily hold the individuals accountable. So good seeing that. Um, also last Wednesday, so the U.S. Commerce Department released new rules that are designed to stop companies from selling hacking tools to China and Russia, among other countries, 
that use them for malicious activities. And now this actually comes six years after the initial proposals for these extortion or these export restrictions on intrusion software. Um, if you remember, I mean, you might not, I had to dig back to the, the bowels of my memory to 2015 when these were first promoted. And they actually got a lot of flack back then uh, because they were basically overly broad and they covered a whole lot of things. Like I mean, you can understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, don't sell NSO Pegasus like software to Russia or China. Um, but like the original rules they proposed were not specific enough just to cover that. I, I think the security community gets a little up in like, for instance, I think we kind of all agree on import restrictions because for once like encryption, the U.S. companies are not allowed to sell tools that have really strong encryption to say Iran. It's an import restriction that has more to do with politics. They're not trying to limit the strength of the encryption we as citizens use in the United States. They're not also trying to limit encryption products in other countries. It's just the ones that are very adversarial to us. They don't want to supply tools that makes it easier for them to hide bad activities from us. So that's their side. And by the way, I, I kind of agree with you. If, if you take that general concept... You know, it seems very clear that states like Russia, especially with ransomware and China, have been very adversarial with the rest of the world as far as cyber operations. So why make their life easier? But from the security industry side, I think the reason we get up in arms is we don't want to put restrictions on our citizens' access to these tools and the legality of using these tools to find vulnerabilities and to show security risk. You know, there there has been proposed laws or things in the situ in the past where they've tried to make hacking tools illegal even here, and and you know that that to some extent would make vulnerability research illegal, which the security industry believes would make everyone less secure because it would be illegal for people to even use tools to find flaws. So and it's not going to stop wrong, the criminals in that case from using them too. Exactly, not at all. And so I, I think the I, I think I'm explaining this right. What we really what the the security industry really cares about is making sure our researchers can do research, and this has more to do with export regulations on particular companies. It's not like they're banning things. So at a high level, I think it's okay, but it's the 2015 controversy was probably that overly broad language that triggered that. Yeah, like the original language basically banned things like even IP address blocking uh, would require a license to be sold outside the US. Uh, there were concerns about being able to work with foreign security penetration testers, like you said. Um, there was, so the CEO of Synac at the time said that the original proposal would have required all of his security researchers to get a license to have anything more than a superficial conversation about security vulnerabilities with foreign researchers. Like it was Which too sucks because there's a lot of good guy researchers from those countries too. You know, we talk about the bad actors that might use countries as safe havens, but that doesn't mean everyone in those countries at all are bad. There's plenty of great good guy researchers from China that we've met at Black Hat and others in Russia too. So, you know, yeah, I, I definitely get it. Now, by the way, I, I, I question the efficacy of this though, right? I mean, yeah, it's banning U.S. country companies from maybe sharing these tools, but it's not like these countries aren't, don't have their own tool at this point, you know? So this almost seems like one of those surface laws that it's just to 
not make it easy and not encourage the use of our tools to easily go over there. But I actually don't really feel like it's going to be all that effective at stopping them from the hacking they already at, at this point. I see a lot of tools coming out of China. A lot of the big research we see at DEF CON and Black Hat comes from Chinese researchers. So I, I, I think this is not going to be overly effective I mean, you're at right. doing much. If they're already running offensive cybersecurity operations, I don't think a little bit of piracy is going to stop them at that point. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let and, alone the fact that they, I don't think they need our tools. I think they have their own tools at this point as well. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those where, you know, it does make sense on the face. It's just incredibly difficult to actually like, I'm not necessarily enforce. It's easy to enforce, but it's difficult to have it have a, a obtainable goal without just I mean, it's I, I don't mind it. I just don't think it'd be particularly. I, I, I bet you Iran also has strong encryption despite our import regulation there, too. Yeah. I mean, hopefully they're using all the Diffie Hellman curves that we've already cracked over at the NSA, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was the hope of the original. Keep them on on single des instead of triple des. <laughs> you can you can use this these strong key negotiations as long as you use curve number forty eight or whatever. Meanwhile, I think Ghost was one of the first algorithms to go four k bit. So I honestly didn't really think import regulations would have much effect either. Yeah, but I mean, so I mean, they 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 would work, but they're not going to prevent those countries from having their own encryption. The good thing out of this, though, is like I'm actually impressed that this government organization so the commerce department and their bureau with inside it responsible for this like didn't try and ham fist those original rules through the first time they like took a step back and thought oh okay maybe we do need to solicit advice from experts and kind of come back with better ones it's good seeing that yeah to be honest i actually am not a government sucks and always does things wrong on purpose one of the things i try to do more in my life is called most respectful interpretation you might interpret someone someone does as somehow against you or bad but if you take the most respectful interpretation you know maybe they you know a lot of times these organizations writing the bills and laws are not that close they don't know the technology like we do so they're writing general legal language and they don't realize the implications. And it sounds like the Commerce Department worked with the security industry, heard, you know, and, and, and changed and adjusted things. Because ultimately, we all kind of agree that there's nothing wrong with this export regulation for hacking tools. We just didn't want to do X, Y, and Z. And I, I bet you if we had more conversations with, with government departments, they would be willing to find a a compromise or the right way to offer these while still keeping our industry intact, considering they use our industry as much as anyone else. <laughs> yeah. So either way, the rules are up for public comment now for the next 90 days, I think, before going into effect. And last time they went up for comment for 90 days and immediately got yanked back down because those comments were quite strong. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it's looking like apparently they listened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's looking like this time, though, you know, they're more in line with what's actually appropriate for the industry and aren't going to catch up a lot of legitimate activity by U.S. organizations and our partner countries as well. Um, and I mean, like you said, in the end, these countries are probably just going to use whatever they want anyway. Um, but I mean, it does at least disincentivize U.S. companies from working with them directly then at that point in time. And it shows that we're serious about this issue. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so Moving on to the last story, uh, last week, Google's threat analysis group published a blog post detailing their efforts to disrupt cookie theft malware targeting YouTubers. 
and a campaign that is dated back to 2019. Um, so they tied this campaign to a group of hackers recruited on a Russian-speaking forum. Now, we'll get into their job posting in a bit because it's actually kind of interesting. Um, but at the long and short of it, this group lures their victims with fake collaboration opportunities. So like demos for antivirus software, VPNs, music players, photo editing, online games. Basically, go to a YouTuber and say, hey, we'd like to pay you to demo our product or whatever on your channel, which is a pretty common thing for YouTubers. Uh, but instead of it being a actual legitimate piece of software it is malware which they then use to steal cookies and potentially passwords and then hijack the youtubers channels and use that to either sell it to the highest bidder or to broadcast cryptocurrency scams so tag says along with youtube gmail and several other google security organizations They've decreased the volume in phishing related phishing emails on Gmail by 99.6% since May 2021. They blocked 1.6 million messages to targets, uh, displayed 62,000 safe browsing phishing page warnings, and blocked 2.4 thousand files, as well as successfully restored 4K accounts. These are all some pretty big numbers, honestly. Like, I know that YouTubers and money on YouTube is pretty big, but... Like it, it kind of blows my mind seeing 1.6 million phishing messages going to YouTubers around just this specific campaign. That's kind of nuts. Um, so when yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I feel like numbers 1.1 is almost nothing. And like you say, this is one campaign to YouTubers around cookies, but that number's tiny in phishing numbers. So it's. There is tons of money. I, I, I think Twitch should show us. Twitch is behind YouTube to some sense, and we already know the numbers that those folks can make. So Yeah, uh, we know that because it all got leaked two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was referring to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when it comes to the tools, tactics, and procedures of this campaign, though, uh, they start by reaching out to YouTubers over like business opportunity emails they leave up on their channel. So most of these professional YouTubers will have a contact me email address for potentially paid endorsements or other demo opportunities. They'll more often than not impersonate an existing company, but then after agreeing to a deal, they'll point them towards a malware landing page that's disguised as a software download URL uh, that they send either over an email, a PDF in Google Drive, or a Google document. And so far, Google has identified 15,000 actor accounts, most of which were specifically set up for this campaign along with 1,011 domains created just for this. And some of them were designed to impersonate legitimate sites, like Cisco VPN was a popular one, some video games on Steam were other popular ones too. So the social engineering aspect of this is definitely on point from the uh, the threat actors. Um, I'll give uh, close listeners to the podcast a hint, because one of the your, your next point of a, a tools, tactic, and procedure is interesting to me because it involves a prediction I am... I'm considering for next year. Yeah, so Google actually observed the attackers driving targets to messaging apps like WhatsApp, Telegram, and Discord because Google's actually pretty good at disrupting phishing links sent in Gmail. Like they'll automatically neuter it and put up safe yeah. browsing uh, alerts. And basically, we all know phishing exists, but there's been uh, at first an increase in smishing, SMS text phishing. But this is more interesting to me, you know, in a lot of places, I, I, I presumed places like Europe, 
Uh, people know that clear text messages, SMS messages, are, are not the best way to do things nowadays. So there's a lot of people that just don't use text as much and prefer WhatsApp or Telegram. Uh, so we're seeing an increase on, in Spear. Let's call it smishing, even though it's actually applications, messaging applications. Uh, you know, so it's not just general phishing to your WhatsApp. It's something that's a little more targeted towards you. And I, I, I like the fact that they noticed that, you know, it's not just because people are moving to those applications for their security, but it's, it is because a lot of the phishing gets blocked in normal email and there's less mechanisms on WhatsApp. So maybe more folks fall for it, get it and fall for it. So anyways, I won't share the whole prediction, but obviously we were, it, it involves a lot more spear phishing going to those messaging apps. Yep. Um, so after convincing them to download this fake software that ends up being malware, uh, the cookie theft malware operates in a non-persistent mode. They call it smash and grab techniques where basically it executes, steals browser cookies, and uploads them to the attacker's command and control server uh, with the assumption that by running in non-persistence mode, um, if the file is not detected when it's first executed, there's a lot less artifacts on that host then to potentially catch it after the fact and let the YouTuber know that they've been victim of a malware attack. And I mean, this also is kind of another interesting trend we're seeing with going after cookies now because MFA is finally taking off. Like, I feel like we made that MF, well, we've been making MFA security predictions almost every year for the last few years, but like we've been seeing it turning towards everyone using MFA for quite some time. And it feels like we're at the point now where getting a password isn't necessarily going to be enough because a lot of these services are built in with like intrinsic MFA with like shooting a text message to you. I, I hope so. I, I still don't know if MFA is like at the very least, I think MFA needs to be 100% ubiquitous on any remote access your company does. But in practice, I don't know if that's the case. Yes, more and more sites are offering their own two-factor MFA as an option, but I feel like it's not as ubiquitous as it should be. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, even if you do have MFA, if someone just has malware on your steals computer, your cookies, steals it your doesn't cookie. matter. Yeah, because you've already authenticated. They just need that and potentially like the user agent from your browser to match up with it. Now, now tell me about the non-persistentness of this particular threat, because I will say a, a lot of cookie-based malware nowadays wants to stay on your computer because as the, 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 side, the bad side to cookies is they're temporary, right? you're getting a session token or a cookie that will only work for a period of time. Now, some sites have a very long period of time, uh, but some sites also look for other factors too, along with the session token. And cookie malware is often designed, one, to continuously update that cookie, meaning it has to keep that command and control channel open for a period of time to update it, and also grab other indicators that can copy from your computer that might help it along with the session token. But if you're saying this is non-persistent, does that mean this is not keeping up with the cookie as long? So it's more uh, something the attacker would have to use right away? Exactly. Like they would have to use it right away. And once they gain access to that account, either try and sell it immediately uh, or, or put change. up their little live yeah. stream cryptocurrency scam thing, which <laughs> I, man, I, I, I love that these days, cryptocurrency scams seem to be one of the go-tos because I, for, if you, okay, I shouldn't, you know, make fun because at the end of the day, like my mom, for example, isn't a cryptocurrency expert. Um, but 
if you see someone post, hey, give me $10 well, and I'll give you $100 later, you know that's probably bogus. But if you see, hey, send me a quarter of a Bitcoin and I'll send you 10 Bitcoins later, like, how do you not? That should be, yeah. uh, I mean, that should be just as obviously bad, not real. Because there's In fact, like even worse, because 10, 10 Bitcoins is an astronomical yeah. amount <laughs> compared to a quarter. But like the the Twitter breach last year, was it? Or the year before? It was all cryptocurrency scams. Now these takeover YouTube accounts are all cryptocurrency scams. And it's because it's working, I guess. It's because it's a speculative market and all the newbies getting into it keep speculation higher than it might be worth in the future. But anyways, either they can make profit. They... You know, they honestly don't care if the Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency they target is a long-term thing. They can make temporary money from it right now. Yep. And they're probably savvy enough to buy in and sell whatever cryptocurrencies they have you're right about at the right the, times. Uh, you're right about the typical longevity for some of these cookie theft malware attacks, though. Like, we've seen entire dark web marketplaces where they basically sell you a plugin. Uh, for your web browser. And when you use that plugin and get a pack from the site that you've paid for, it will continuously update with your victim's cookies, their browser user agent, yeah. any other fingerprint material you need to make it look like you are them. So the smash and grab. And those ones are, are cooler from the bad guy's perspective because e- even though, you know, again, the cookie bypasses all authentication and, and MFA because it's already authenticated, but it solves the temporary session problem by keeping keeping you updated with all you need to keep that session open for for however long your victim keeps logging in. Yep. Uh, Let's pivot to the recruitment that this organization was doing because it was kind of interesting. So they posted basically a job posting for two different job descriptions on this Russian-speaking forum. Um, And you can, after seeing this, see why some of these phishing attacks were pretty highly customized. So they had two job openings uh, that they're advertising. The first is light advertising where your job as an employee is to register a Gmail account and send that account to the the attacker organization and then perform social engineering to trick the target into downloading malware. And for all that, you get 25% of any revenue you make. On the flip side, there's the full stack. If you can hear my dog in the background, please excuse it. He obviously does not like (laughs) malware advertising or she and is making her opinion known. Sorry about that, Mark. On the flip side, the full stack advertisement option Uh, You first have to search and collect your own YouTube contact emails. Uh, Then you register a Gmail account, send that to the attacker, prepare and send out the initial set of personalized emails, perform social engineering to trick uh, them into downloading the malware, quote, and everything else. And for that, you get 70% of revenue, which my first thought is, you're doing all the work in there. Why are you only getting 70% of the revenue? That doesn't sound very fair. So 30% just for the malware itself in that case, or I don't even know. Honestly, I think both of these are mules, right? <laughs> I, I don't. I, you're registering a Gmail account that ties to you. I think the threat actors really behind this are actually putting a lot more risk. You know, the people that will eventually be tracked down are probably going to be associated. Registering a Gmail account without real phone numbers and stuff like that is a lot harder now. Uh, I, yeah. So I, I feel like they're they're kind of treating you as a mole, which, by the way, makes your question even worse. You're you're unknowingly taking more risk than you might think you are as someone that might be easier to track down in this campaign. And I, I, I don't know, but it, it's so interesting. I mean, the general takeaway is I just think it's funny how it's all criminal malicious business, but we see this a lot on the underground. It is a 
they run it like a business they advertise it like a business they offer services like a business they offer upgrades like a business it's just all a criminal business <laughs> yeah it's pretty nuts what the the malware landscape has come to like ransomware yeah. as a service is seems to be all the major attacks these days are ransomware as a service model like these now affiliates yeah I'm sure they'll have their own supply chain issues. For instance, well, like Revel and Darkseid being connected might have a supply chain issue if uh, government gets one and has links to the other. I, I don't know. It's they've definitely they they care about profitability like us. It's just uh, criminal profitability, which is unfortunate. Uh, but in this case, so the good news is Google and Google Tag have actually done a pretty good job of. Uh, improving some of their automations around this. Like they mentioned, Seems they like had an excellent job even. Yeah, they had like a 99% or something restoration, automatic restoration rate for a lot of these. Um, they were able to, um, again, block a lot of these attacks too. So good seeing that from Google. I guess if you are a YouTuber, just be mindful of people trying to get you to install software or even get you to click on a link anywhere, especially if you're a high profile YouTuber, because man, those accounts are probably worth a fair bit of money if someone were to get into one of those. I'd, I'm curious how much PewDiePie's account is worth. Is he still on YouTube? Did he get banned yet? It's got to be worth quite a bit. I, I, he is definitely on YouTube. I, I don't know if he lost out to that uh, Indian uh, music video channel, though. Last I we paid attention to him. He is trying to keep his number one status compared to a uh, T-series, I think it was called. Yeah, there you go. He's still around. Yep. PewDiePie. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> hopefully not asking people to hack uh, printers in order to keep him number one on YouTube anymore. This is the dumbest timeline. <laughs> uh, but it, I guess like main takeaways from that, though, keep your endpoint software up to date to try and catch some of these threats and don't get tricked by phishing emails. Easy as that. Just don't fall for fishes and you're safe. Or or start looking at your messenger apps. You've probably, uh, at this point, I'm worried email is probably, it's always going to have phishing, but it seems like text and messaging apps are, are the new place. Beyond just being outside the protections email have the shortened links, there's a lot of other things that make it harder to check links on mobile devices before you go to them. And I, I, I presume most of us are using these apps on mobile devices as opposed to desktops. Yeah, 100%. But, man, what are we going to do in the future? And so, I mean, so one of the issues with those message apps, I guess, before we quit, uh, they're all end-to-end -end encrypted. So what exactly can you do? Run, uh, like, phishing protection in the app itself? So when you decrypt it, then it can run it? Because... Yeah, or on the endpoint, yeah. yeah. The endpoint, uh, meaning the mobile device itself right. would have to have some, uh, like I guess theoretically uh, something like a DNS watch that at least could prevent you from getting to known bad domains or IPs, even if you did click them in the app, could help locally. But otherwise, it seems like something the messaging app provider would have to offer, but how do they, I mean, if they're truly doing end-to-end -end encryption, they don't even theoretically shouldn't even be able to see the messages so how do they even provide anything if they really are offering true end-to-end -end encryption well i guess the one way to stay secure is just power off your mobile device and never turn it back on again <laughs> yeah and the truth is for phishing by the way it's more you pay attention to what you click wear a skeptical hat 
Uh, if your boss sends you a WhatsApp message telling you to open a new account, maybe give him a call or her a call just to make sure it's actually the person you think it is. What's your skeptical hat look like? Or at least check the phone number. Uh, Mine's a sombrero. Know. That's a good question. Sombrero, that's cool. I feel like it would be a top hat, probably like the LOLSEC icon. Uh, a cool top hat. I could wear a monocle while I'm being skeptical too. Skeptical monocle. That sounds like a great idea. Anyways, I think that's enough for today. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Yeah, that's it. Corey is at SecAdept, and the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.